It's Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016, and you're listening to episode 398 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 47 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. My name is Chad. And my name is Pat. All right, so no announcements. We're going to roll straight into it. Topic that we're going to talk about today is running a game in an exceedingly small amount of time. Specifically, we're talking about a one-hour game. Now, there's two reasons that this has come up for us. One is, at work, Wayne has been asked to run a game for some of his coworkers over lunch. So, obviously, they have a period of about an hour within which to run this game. The other thing that it's come up for is we are thinking about doing something that's going to be somewhere between kind of a return to the design series... But, but you just gave half our audience a heart attack. I Well, this is what I'm saying. It's kind of like, not absolutely like. And also a bit of a game autopsy where what we're going to do is I'm actually going to go through some of the rules of the Skies of Glass homebrew in its current iteration. Mm-hmm. And we are actually going to make a group template, create characters, and work through that process. I've already and, got my character. And talk about how we're doing everything and why the decisions were made the way they were in the design of the system and the design of the setting and in the design of the group and the characters on and on. And if it goes well enough, maybe, maybe we'll do some intermittent actual plays. But if we do, Mm -hmm. they will only be the same length as our other shows. So we're talking about one hour episodes. Now I know there are other podcasts out there, like for example, one shot where I believe they record a longer game, so it's a four to six hour sitting, and then they cut it up into little sub episodes. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about doing. Just like Wayne will only be running his games for one hour sittings, we're talking about doing basically an hour of recording, editing it the way we would normally a mm-hmm. show, and then releasing it in that format. And so we have to conduct a meaningful portion of a game. In the course of an hour. Now, as we talk about this, there's one thing I want to take off the table straight away. We're talking about a game that is fully developed as an ongoing campaign Mm -hmm. with characters and a detailed system. If your answer to this is get a game that's meant to be run as a one hour con game. Like Inspectors. Yeah. Or something like that. That's totally cool. Yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Those are great games. They're wonderful for filling small amounts of time. But we're not talking about a one-off game or something. Red, Penny for Your Thoughts. Yeah. All those sorts of games. We're talking about a much more traditional role-playing game Mm -hmm. with a much more traditional story. Except for the very untraditional, we run it for one hour. Exactly. The first thing that came to my mind is you're going to have to cut out a lot of the bullshitting. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Okay, we need to rob the bank. Should we go in there guns blazing? No, oh, no. Develop a plan. I wasn't even talking analysis paralysis. Oh, okay. I'm talking about the social interaction at the table. Right. Oh, like, how was your day? Exactly, because if you think about the average game sitting, how much of that time is spent with everyone kind of acclimating to each other and getting settled? Hey, I love that. It gives me time to boot up my laptop or <laughs> all patches and stuff. Going on bathroom breaks or food yeah. breaks or whatever. That really cuts into the game time. So obviously, if you're going to get anywhere mm-hmm. with the game, then that's one of the things that has to go. 
I think you're also right that the players are going to have to make the decision that proactivity is acceptable and possibly normative. Or if there's Mm -hmm. going to be analysis paralysis, it has to be moved offline. That's where we're in the session, debate it out in email, and then we'll just start with that conclusion the next time. You're going to have two groups that need to be on board with this. You're going to have to have the players and the game master. Now, the game master, I mean, obviously their job is to structure a story where the cliffhanger falls at about an hour and then the plot beats are an hour. So so at the end of an hour, it's you didn't just do one thing sort of and the ending kind of goes until the next game because that won't keep anyone's attention. You have to kind of keep it popping, keep it going. But more importantly, I think it's up to the players too not to just dither, not to dither, not to bitch about rules, not to say, oh, well... I think that this grapple rule needs to be done and I don't think it's done right. And I want it to be done like this and let's debate about this and let's debate. No, it's just like, okay, I have this thing about the grapple rules. I will shoot you an email about it. I'll write a little note. Okay. Keep going. Cause we only got an hour, but I think it's also more important than that. I think it's about saying, okay, we are going to do this and we're doing it instead of well i don't know that guy wants to do the thing x and and i don't know my plot's kind of over here you got to kind of keep going with the flow well and that's something that our group i think is going to have to work with because historically we've been fairly big on having the actions be thoughtful and the consequences be meaningful now i don't think that needs to go away hmm. but because of that we get into analysis paralysis we know we're going to have to live with whatever decision we make here for a long time and possibly in big Mm. ways. And so as a result, we want to spend some time really making those decisions quite intentionally. We don't just stumble into something and then Chad, you annoy the other players because you get tired of it. Just just go and do pull the trigger. I know. Like when we were playing a while and the mage pulled and (laughs) I was standing right next to you and just never mentioned the fact that this was occurring. Who pulled? pulled? (laughs) No, no. Uh, you guys weren't doing jack and everyone was topped off on everything yeah <laughs> you know what this reminded me of thinking about this we've done true dungeon a couple times mm-hmm. if everyone's not familiar with true dungeon the real high level explanation is it's a thing they do at gen con and a few other events gen con's the, the primary place i know of, where they set up a walkthrough dungeon and you go through i think it's what 10 rooms and you have X number of minutes to be in each room and there might be a monster to fight or puzzle to solve or whatever's going on in that room. But you have a limited amount of time to do that. And then you get a warning sound and then you're done. If you didn't finish the room, you take some kind of penalty and you move on. But what that requires is from the moment you walk into that room, everybody has to be ready to go. The game is on. You can't stand there and talk about the weather and make jokes and whatever because you'll end up losing that room. I just did something similar to True Dungeon in the form of what's called an escape room. Mm. And these are a thing that's kind of becoming a fad over the past few years in the U.S. and maybe elsewhere, but I know at least in the U.S. And what an escape room is, is you get put in a room and the room will have some kind of plot to it. And then you have to solve a bunch of puzzles and then successfully escape the room in the course of an hour. And some of them are horror themed where they have like a zombie and every five minutes, another foot of chain gets let out on mm, him, nice. cutting off access to the room. Uh, there's one that I've not done yet, but intend to do. In fact, I want to take you guys to do 
where we actually start off handcuffed to the wall. Do you hear that? Mm-hmm. He wants to handcuuff. We have to figure out to a wall. Say, uh, yeah, I've I've been to that room before. <laughs> we have to solve enough puzzles to undo the locks and mm-hmm. then get the codes for a bomb and disarm a bomb in the middle of the room and then escape the room in the course of an hour. Mm-hmm. The one that I just did, the setup was that we were supposed to be like members of the CIA. Mm-hmm. There's this corrupt business guy that's about to sell off a bunch of secrets to the Russians. And what we had to do is in the course of one hour, we had to get into his room. We had to find several data items like flash drives and SD mm-hmm. cards and such. We had to find out where the meeting was going to occur and when it occurred. So it's a total of six things, four data items, location of the meeting, date, time of the meeting. And all these were hidden behind various puzzles and codes mm-hmm. and all kinds of different structures of puzzles and such. And then the seventh and final hurdle is you have to break the security system and get out of the room. We succeeded at all but one of the objectives in our excitement. We forgot to grab the date, <laughs> which was literally right in front of us. I won't say where in case somebody else does this, but the point is it was really dumb. But anyway... It was the same sort of thing. When you walk into that room, we all kind of quickly fanned out, started looking at stuff, mentioning what it is we're doing, but there was no side banter. Mm -hmm. There was no hyper analysis. If somebody gave an idea, you didn't debate it for the next 30 minutes. You went with, in fact, Pat, there was that room in True Dungeon that was a a laser puzzle where you had to reflect light off of a bunch of mirrors. Uh Pat's an engineer. And the dude that was in there with us, one of the guys, would not freaking listen to him. And they spent so much time going back and forth, and Pat was correct, that we failed the room. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was frustrating. Because Mm -hmm. we couldn't rally around a single idea and move forward. Because in high-stress situations like that, it is better to rally around, get group consensus, and go forward rather than just spinning your wheels and having multiple ideas and people bumping into each other and such. When I run my game, Silent Memories, that game is designed to be exactly one hour. is yeah. 60 mm-hmm. minutes, and there's a timer, and if you don't beat it, then the ship explodes and you're dead. But in a game like this, where it's ongoing, you can't put something like that. Like Not to say that there was a bomb in every scenario every time but you can't hold the players under a gun week after week after week or or session after session after session just so that you can push the one hour you have to find other ways to make the game tense to keep the action moving right but really as a game master you should only do 50 percent of that the other 50 percent needs to be done by the players in this situation where the players have to say, okay, we're, we are moving forward. It's like, unless you want the Game Master to put you on the rails and go choo-choo, and then you're off down the tracks, the players have to be proactive. They have to keep the action moving forward. Because the Game Master shows. You know, It's like there's some telling that he's doing, They're telling the story and telling from the NPC's perspective. But then there's also the Game Master is showing you the world. It's like, okay... Here is the situation, and there's a lot of different options because it's a well-thought-out and interesting world and situation. You guys have to do something. And you can't just have players going, well... And Chad, right along those lines, I think it also requires a certain amount of forced energy. Mm -hmm. And what I'm talking about with forced energy, there's a lot of times we're playing a game, and maybe the first hour is kind of slow. Yeah. Because people aren't feeling it. 
they're not really jumping out. They're not bringing mm-hmm. their A game. They're not immediately in character. They're kind of sitting on the sidelines because they've had a long week. But then by the second or third or fourth hour, something got their attention, right? right. And they, they start to get into it, and the energy starts to build and build. You don't have that time. No. And so I think there is something that's incumbent on both the players and the game master that you have to be prepared to hit the ground running. Yeah. It, you know, when It's like a relay race. Whenever the baton is in your hand, you have to be prepared to mm-hmm. go with it, even if that does require forcing yourself a bit yeah. to maybe step outside of what you're actually feeling at the moment. And Yeah, and I think it's important for players to play characters who are like that. In this game that we're going to play, should I play the fat, aged merchant who wisely dispenses sage advice to his fellow companions, or should I play action guy? That doesn't mean action guy needs to have no backstory and not be interesting or anything like that, but, you know, if I play the fat, slow, wise merchant who doesn't really proactively do stuff but just kind of runs from the sidelines, that might be an interesting character in a longer game format. But when you have an hour to do something, right. it's it's just not quite enough. And and again, I want to stress too that that doesn't I you know I said action man kind of flippantly. That doesn't mean a character who is combat guy with no personality and no background at all. And that's not what I mean in any way. It's a matter of you should play someone who is proactive, who is willing to go forward, is willing to do things. So I have a question about this whole setup for your hour sessions. Do you do you foresee these hour sessions where you're actually getting together to play as always being basically your your action hour? And what I mean by that is because you mentioned doing other things offline. So like especially in Skies of Glass or what any role playing game, you're going to have your your times of action where you enact the plan. But then there's also sort of the if you want to call it the downtime RP time where you're back at base and the characters are pursuing maybe the things that they want to do individually. So are you going to try to do all that kind of crap offline and in email between the hour long session where, okay, we're all together. We're doing the score. We've got an hour. It's going to be action. It's not going to be, Oh, my character wants to go and check on his, you know, on on that project I have going with, with the, the guys down at the gas station. Well, it seems like you won't have. It seems like that wouldn't work. I certainly think party splitting actions or individually focused actions are going to be somewhat difficult. I think it is going to be hard to shine the spotlight on someone for more than a very short amount of time Mm -hmm. while still having a game where everybody understands why they're there. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. like, well, because once again, like you said, if, if we focus on you're going to check on this guy down the road. And we do that for 30 minutes of the 60 minutes. Yeah. Then yeah. it really does like, why, why did the rest of us yeah. show up for this? But having said that, I would hate for that to be the case, because if we do this on our show, after we get past some of the game design talk and such, then the people that are listening will not have heard any of right. the role playing and such that's going on. In the case of Wayne's game, that is the content of the game. I mean, now they might have some downtime discussions via email and such, but the entirety of their face time is that one hour. They're going to be limit to what they do outside of that. I would hope that's not the case. Yeah. I would hope that, I mean, I, I do think there's going to have to be some give on both sides because in terms of the game mechanics, there are some mechanics that just plain aren't going to work real well when you're moving that fast. Yeah. I think everyone sitting here has played in a combat that lasted longer than an hour. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Most combats are an hour minimum. Yeah. 
and I mean, just, the game, just but it, does, it, it depends well, on the does, game but... and the number of combatants involved and whatever. And it is fortunate in that Skies of Glass has always been designed to be a rather brutal game. You pull a trigger, somebody got shot. They didn't mm-hmm. lose five hit points. They got freaking shot. Right. And so combat the, is actually few and far between in typical yes. Skies of Glass games. And what it occurs, it tends to be very fast and mm-hmm. very brutal, which is why you want them few and far between. Right. You may not like how they end. But I think there also has to be some give on the side of the role playing mm-hmm. where you don't knock the role playing out of the game. Right. But you certainly do accept that there's something going on that's really just beating a dead horse, mm-hmm. is really tangential, or the greatest crime of all doesn't involve everyone at the yeah. table. I can think of a the perfect example for this. Like I make a character for this game. And one of my characters, part of background is that he has a sick mother and that the sick mother is in the town that we're operating out of. So we go and, and what my character wants to do is I want to visit my mother and take care of her and talk to her and it's role playing interaction. OK, that's fine. Whatever. Thing is, none of the other characters are in any way tied to my mother. Nobody is connected. Nobody cares. So when I say I want to go visit my mother, we have a choice. We could either say, OK, you quote, go visit your mother, and then you come back, and then we carry on, or I go and visit my mother, and Dan and I role-play this out for the next 20 minutes while everyone sits around and looks at us. Right. I do think this is something we can also mitigate a bit by really going back and pulling all the tools out of our tool belt. All the things that we've talked about over the 10 years of doing the show. For example, let's say we have a game where Chad does go and visit his sick mother. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, we've talked about having other people play NPCs. If yeah. I'm going to get the other two players off the bench, because Wayne and Brodor will probably be the other two players, then it's going to be, all right, Wayne, you're playing the sick mother, and Brodor, you're playing the dad. Yeah. Because those are your NPCs now. Go with it. Or we've made the group Tim play to where we have to have at least one connection apiece. All right, Brodor, you're playing the mother. Wayne, you're coming with me because my mother treats you like a son. And right. we, we have this jealousy because she loves you more than me. And So there's some kind of dynamic you. there. Yeah. And then I think the PCs mm-hmm. also need to be thought of kind of like NPCs in this one way. One of the bits of advice we've given for NPCs is that you have to make them memorable quickly. In a lot of our games, we play a longer, slower build on the characters Mm -hmm. they develop over time they get revealed over time they become memorable over time and that's great and i think that can still occur because even if you're only having one hour sessions you could still theoretically have a lot of one hour sessions over a long Mm -hmm. period of time where things do develop and grow but i think if those characters are not quickly memorable and quickly understandable Mm -hmm. such that the other people get the rhythm that's going on they get how the characters fit together and what you're trying to convey through the sort of character you made and things like that, then it may not be something you can pull off. And so you might have to be a little bit quicker hitting Mm -hmm. with the kind of character you play combat rules, anything that requires hitting the book. Yeah. If you can't find a way to speed it up, it's going to have to be abbreviated. Yeah. Once again, skies of glass will be pretty easy because it's a fairly quick playing system. Mm -hmm. But if you were doing something hard crunch, where things well, can slog on for a while, D&D, I would Battle even, Tech. I would even recommend not doing something that's hard crunch. You know, not something that's... I mean, not that certain versions of D&D are not necessarily heavy crunch, but if you have a game system where a typical, normal, everyday combat can take an hour 
then maybe you know it's not 1982. We have a lot of different systems out there, right? Now. So well, I and even within the system, I mean, there are quick play rules oh, sure. for many games. You yeah. can find people out there who have already abstracted out a lot of the crunch. Mm-hmm. Heck, Battletech codifies it. The Alpha Strike rules. Yeah, it's a game that's designed to be quick play. Mm-hmm. Game prep is certainly going to be a bit interesting because throughout my gaming career, I've had a pretty good sense of how to fill the amount of time that I want to fill, mm-hmm. of how to get an introduction to a build-up to sort of a climax and then an anti-climax or a cliffhanger, whatever it is I want to end on. I'm terrible at it. And the course of about four, mm-hmm. six, eight hours. I can think I have enough content for one night and then these holes turned it into a month-long fiasco mm-hmm. it's like i'm sitting there see thinking, that's fine the, the game mastery nightmare is the reverse right where it's just like you blow through the content in 20 minutes yeah, and you, then you have another four hours i wouldn't think you'd have that problem in this scenario because what you gotta what you have to realize is you're playing on the level of a basically a, a 30 minute sitcom at this point mm-hmm. you know it's not even an hour-long procedural you have to have basic basic content with a couple ideas, and that's going to fill an hour. Now, you come to the table with enough to fill an hour-long procedural, you're golden for two or three weeks. Yeah. I, I, I think that's what you're going to find. I, I'm just, I feel in my gut that that's what's going to happen. As a veteran GM, you're not going to have any issues with this because you're going to over-prepare. You're going to have too much. I think that's going to be the Dan, But that's not a problem. Yeah. But that's not a problem no. because then you're ready for the next month of play. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it can be a problem if you don't get... The curve of a story. In. Right. And by the curve of a story, I don't mean the beginning, the middle, and the end. But what I do mean is that you get what people talk about with story beats, mm-hmm. where there's a rhythm to the story mm-hmm. of ups and downs. Yeah. And if you don't have something meaningful occur in the course of an hour, I guess, Pat, to use your analogy, it would be the difference between watching a 30-minute show that's intended to be 30 minutes versus watching the middle 30 minutes of a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah. And I think that's what you've got to hit, is the trick is going to be nailing that rhythm yeah. such that it introduces, plays out, and concludes in a meaningful way in the course of an hour without the intention of this being a one-shot mm-hmm. or even a standalone episodic sort of game where this one sitting yeah. stands alone, because that's not the case. You know, This is going to play into what happens next yeah. week. And so I think that's going to be the trick, and that's going to be something that there may be some science to it, but something tells me I'm, it's just going to be a lot of art. It's yeah. going to be a lot of things I'm just going to have to sort of feel out over time. I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around the concept of it just, just because of that, because it is going to be so different to you know to break it down from playing in multi-hour session, you know, like you know mm-hmm. when you play for anywhere from four to eight hours to going that just down to one. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be learning on everybody's part, like you said, but I, particularly the GM and just, in, you've got to have small enough snippets that are self-contained. Well, think that make it, it this a, way. make it a good, interesting game with a, with a beginning middle and a wrap up so well, that you just don't feel like you've been left hanging or didn't really get anything accomplished. I think that there's a couple of ways that GM can go about it. I think in media res is going to be your friend. Especially when, like, Pat, you're talking about how there's, like, the sort of downtime, which is not necessarily down. It's the role-playing while not under fire or under pressure is what you, yeah. more what you mean. And then there's the score, which is like, hey, there's the big bad or the MacGuffin or the whatever that we are pushing the story forward through activity, and which is sort of the uptime. I think that you can trim a lot of the fat off of a game 
by doing in media res. Like, okay, you have some role play that you've been doing of this quote unquote downtime. And so we know what we have to do. Well, instead of walking up to the castle and bribing the guards and then sneaking our way into the dungeon and then going upstairs and then, you know, there's the evil king and, you know, we have to wait for the right. We start the game with our knife up about to stab the king in the throne room and he turns around and goes, huh? What do you do? Yeah. That's where you start the game. And I don't know that I want to do that every no, week. No, no, no. Yeah, but, you cannot do that every but game, but... I think it's like we are talking about. This is going to be something where mm-hmm. to make it work. All the tools are yeah. going to have to come out of the tool Absolutely. belt. Because there's a lot of things that are going to have to come together perfectly mm-hmm. to make this work, especially when this is our first time attempting it. Yeah. So this, we may fail spectacularly, but hey, as we've often said, fear the boot is a monument to our failures. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. You know, but it's, one second on that, Pat... Did you either of you watch the show Falling Skies? Yes. Okay. Pat, then you'll know probably what I'm talking about. But, Chad, they did something very frequently in that show that didn't bother me. But a guy I work with tried watching it, couldn't get into it because of this. They did a five-year arc. So it's five seasons to tell the entire story. And the story begins after an alien invasion of the Earth has succeeded. Mm -hmm. And it ends with the conclusion of them trying to fight the aliens off of the Earth. And I, I won't give the ending in case somebody wants to go back and watch it. But each season, if I remember right, I think was only what ten episodes. It, yeah, because it was it, it was, was a it was, really high budget show. It was. I, I won't say that it was always a summer show, but it was. I know it partially. It was summer shows. Yeah. So it was like it is that you know they showed it in the summer, and you've only got about ten episodes worth of yeah and time it was, to do it, that. It was a very short season. Yeah, so they weren't long, and so they didn't have a lot of space to tell the story. And as a result, there were times that they stopped and they would linger on something. They would develop the characters through an ongoing dialogue or whatever. And I remember at times as a viewer, I was feeling kind of frustrated by that Mm -hmm. because I wanted to see more action and plot since I knew. But the point is that they were still able to do it. But what they did to try and cut a lot of that fat out is there were many episodes that would pick up where, let's say in the last episode, they were in town x Mm -hmm. and things were relatively peaceful and they were camped out there and suddenly the next episode would begin and they're in an obviously different place in the middle of a firefight with the aliens and later comes up in dialogue man it's been two months since we were last settled down at previous town yeah and they just would kind of skip over these pieces Mm -hmm. and it was like i guess if you were to talk to somebody about a major event in their life the way that they would tend to recall what to them were the emotional highlights, which mm-hmm. might have been moments of intensity or moments of deep personal interaction. Yeah. But they skipped over a whole lot of the walking from place A to place yeah. B and foraging for food and things like that that were just assumed mm-hmm. precisely. <laughs> but, Pad, you know what I'm talking about? Where Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. The shows many times start like that. So and I think you're right. I think it's just they have to. I mean. Another good example that any that maybe more people would be familiar with is is Game of Thrones because that's the same thing. It's ten episode seasons, mm-hmm. and then you have to wait two years between yeah. to get the next one, which is and even more frustrating. So yeah, it's it's you've got to trim a lot of stuff out, especially when you've got either George R. R. Martin that writes two thousand page books, and you, there's a lot, or he just doesn't write it at all, and now they have to forge on ahead without him. So <laughs> there you go. Well, then you have a this gigantic ensemble cast, and you have a lot yeah. of different storylines. Oh, and they're all over, especially right now, they are all over the world, and it's... 
Yes, I think that it's crazy. I think that in the game too, it would be helpful on how the players develop their characters. In that, if I make a character that has a whole bunch of NPCs, I should not expect Dan to utilize all of those NPCs and have them interacting with me all the time. In fact, I really shouldn't expect any of them to be there unless Dan finds a use for them because it creates a large ensemble cast. Dan now for these hour long games has to do more prep. He's got to figure out this intricate web of NPCs that I have and how he's going to integrate them in the story and then how I will react to them. And then what, you know what? I'm not going to have very many NPCs. I, I, <laughs> It'll I, be okay. I wouldn't think that anyone would. I, as a yeah. GM, I wouldn't want to allow them to do a lot of that. And because, because of the reason you just yeah. said, because it's it's just too much. Well, and I think in the same way, I'm going to have to minimize the use of my own Your NPCs. NPCs. Yeah. yeah. Because if you guys are running into this large cast of characters, mm-hmm. and I have very little time to introduce them or to yeah. develop them, even if they are memorable in the quick end. I would rather you have fewer, more memorable right. NPCs rather than a large ensemble cast that you can't get any personality behind because they don't have enough screen time. And I don't know that this is something that has to be absolute advice, but something that I'm strongly thinking about as I start kind of mentally Mm -hmm. working through this process is I probably am going to need to reduce the scope of the game quite a bit Mm -hmm. because I typically go for pretty big epic stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But my ability to tell an epic story and to do it in such a way that all the nuance and all the twists and turns are memorable I don't think it has to swing to the opposite extreme. No, no. I, I don't think the pendulum needs to go to the where other you got side. an hour and the ship's going to blow up. And if you save everybody, then game over. Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't have to be that but level. I am going to have to find a middle ground, I think, between mm-hmm. just banal simplicity. Right. And the high intricacy of the types of games that I prefer to run, because I can't convey that in an hour and even well, if i did will you guys really be in it long enough because i mean games are like rehearsal yeah the longer that you're playing a character the longer that you're interacting with a character mm-hmm. the more that you memorize about that just by exposure fewer but, disposable characters exactly more interesting and if they're going to be characters. recurring they need to be incredibly yeah. vivid and they have to be relatively few well, in number Because you're not going to remember that many things. Let me give you an example of why you shouldn't make a really super complex, epic, expansive plot like you usually do. Because when I game with you, we do four, five, six, eight hour, however long games. Back in the day, we used to do 13 hour long games, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you had spiral bound notebooks, big ones. Mm -hmm. And page after page after page after page would be your game notes. And we would be sitting there and something would happen or we would encounter somebody and you're like, okay, hold on just a second. Flip, flip, flip. Okay, go. That's okay when the game is eight hours long. Right. But when it's an hour long and you just spent 30 seconds looking up your tome of notes, that's fat that needs to be trimmed. So you got to be able to fit that session's note on one sheet of paper. I yeah. would think. I mean, well, not, not to say that that should be a hard, I think, fast limit. I think but. at any rate, it certainly does have to be quickly accessed. Yeah. This has to be information that I can look at, instantly know what it is I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. It has to be easily indexed so I can find what I want. Yep. So there is going to be a change to the quantity and the organization Instead of the Instead of game notes written like a novel, they need to be reminders, mental cues yes. to kind of keep you going. And if we do end up doing this, and I think this is still useful advice for anyone who's trying to run something in a short period of time. Once again, Wayne is 
going to be doing this at work. But something that we intend to do if we decide to go forward with doing well, this. Well, I hope we go forward with it. I got my character all picked out. I want to play him. <laughs> okay. He well, grinds lenses. He goes from town to town. Uh-huh. And what he does is he grinds lenses and makes glasses for people. And in these towns that he goes from town to town to town on, he's a traveling guy. Yeah. He sets up apprentices. But the apprentices don't have all the knowledge that they need to do all this stuff. And they don't have any of the supplies. And he's got like a base of operation. Maybe it's spread over the different towns where he can make the lenses and then give them to the apprentices and then they can do their work. So he has his apprentices bringing in most of the money. But he goes from town to town and checks up on them. And when they get to a certain level of skill, he sends them off to do what he's doing far away from him. So they're not competition. But he travels from town to town grinding lenses and making lenses. This guy's basically a racketeer. Yes. (laughs) On top of that, this is all just a front. He is really a spy master. And what he does is whatever town we're going to be working near, like St. Louis or right. whatever the big Atlanta or whatever, I forget what your big giant one is, or maybe Mars, the moon or whatever, he is working for a larger entity. And what he is doing is that he's not doing the spying, but he's running spies. He's like, checking dead drops he's collecting information he's being a signal man as he goes from town to town to town i want to hear what brodor and wayne have to say about the group template i already know several groups that Mm -hmm. you could be working with that would be wonderful for this i don't know why i just what point i was making well at any rate it's still (laughs) it's it's a cool idea and i already have ideas of how i could use that Mm -hmm. but what we're going to be looking to do with this is to show you guys the process of how the game was designed, the way the mm-hmm. rules choices were made, how we came about to the group template, so on and so forth. And if we move into the game, and if it's not a catastrophic, <laughs> spectacular crash and burn, which even that will give us show content. I know, right? <laughs> but if it goes oh well... Oh my god, we'll have a blame session. It'll be great. Then my intention is to... Well, I actually thought about calling this the autopsy series. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Excuse mm-hmm. the pun. But I thought about calling this the autopsy series. I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do. But if you have a name idea for this, let me know. But there might be now a, a fourth or fifth kind of show in addition to mm-hmm. you know, regular episodes, bonus episodes, interviews. And well, I guess PSAs, that's the fourth. So yeah. this would be the fifth of, of these autopsy shows or whatever. But my intention is to absolutely release the game notes mm-hmm. that I'm using. And if they're in paper form, I'll just take a picture or scan of sure. them but post them with the episode so people can follow along with how I'm executing this Mm -hmm. and they can make their own suggestions, learn something from me. I learn something from them and we see how this goes because I think there are ideas that could be applied to any level of game. I mean, things like that are going to come up. There are universal truths about good characters and good rules and whatever that you can apply to any scope of game, but it is going to be an interesting social experiment for us because we have never once again, outside of con games that were intended to be rapid and disposable, like inspectors, mm-hmm. we have never attempted a one-hour game setting before. Right. So I think that it might be a good idea to generally be episodic with this. Uh, and what I mean is that most games in a longer format tend to be very linear, where you do four hours of gaming, and then you end for the night, and then where you pick up the next session is Pretty much around where you left it off the previous night. I mean, it could be in the middle of killing the dragon or we've just killed the dragon. Great game. Next week, 
what do we do with all this dragon body parts we have everywhere? This is really gross. And then that's the game. Instead, you know, it's like, okay, there's the dragon in one or two sessions. It's an episode where the team kills the dragon. And then we pick it up for the next session. It's a couple months later. And, you know, maybe the dragon has had an effect. Killing the dragon has had an effect on the land. Well, instead of this slow buildup and burn where you see the effects of it and you play that out through the game, the Game Master just opens up with a narration of saying, and the land became a lot safer and happier, but now the dragon was keeping the goblins in check and now we're fighting goblins. Yeah, you know, I I don't know if I would make it that fully episodic. Right. But what you're describing there actually ties back pretty well to what went on Falling Skies. Let me Mm -hmm. use a D&D metaphor for it, though, just so anyone who hasn't seen Falling Skies can play the home game here but let's say a game ends with you guys were went to a dragon and you were supposed to try and either kill him or talk him out of what he's doing or who knows what Mm -hmm. and you failed that and the session ends with the dragon flying away to go wreak havoc Mm -hmm. instead of going through all the details of everything it does the next game picks up with you guys are standing in the middle of a town you've been to 20 times before and now it is burnt to the ground. Mm-hmm. You see this NPC and that NPC are dead and, and whatever. But we kind of skip over what would have been otherwise just expository work right. in the middle. Where you guys really were not much more than passive observers. Or maybe were interacting, but were not interacting in a significant way. Mm-hmm. You, it wasn't like he's going for the town and you stand a real chance of stopping him. Yeah. You know, but, and so we just skip over that too. The, here's the aftermath. You know, I mean, think about the Star Wars movies. In between each one, and I mean like the New Hope and Empire and yeah. Jedi, in between those movies, a lot of boring crap happened. How do they deal with that? They do the, the role, you know, galaxy a long, long time ago, and yeah. you know, blah, 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 this happened. And now we're at the interesting part. Instead of loading supplies on a ship and talking about what the hell we're going to do, now we are in Jabba Hutt's palace. Yeah, you know what? Take immediate tension. One of the most iconic scenes of the Star Wars setting, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite scenes in, the, in all the movies, and I'd wager for a lot of other people as well, is the battle against the walkers on Hoth. Mm-hmm. You know what they don't cover in the movie? What's that? The rebels getting to Hoth. <laughs> <laughs> and then setting up a base and complaining about when, how cold it when is. When the Battle of Yavin takes place, guess what planet they were on? Yeah. <laughs> they were not on Hoth. And when that movie picks up, they are now on Hoth. Yep. And the how that transition occurred is simply not covered. In the and same it way... It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't freaking matter. In the same way... Exactly what happened between the end of Empire and we're told later mm-hmm. that Luke had done more training where we find out and he that, is that, more confident of a person. And right. such, so. We find out that Leia has apparently been building a false identity of a forged identity of this bounty hunter who doesn't mm-hmm. actually exist. We don't see that happen. It just all comes together with them right. at Jabba's palace. And yeah, you have that fight scene and they get Han out and they escape and Lots of fun and all the crap that led up to it, which would have been one, probably pretty boring and two would have involved them each pursuing unrelated independent goals Mm -hmm. because Leia forging the identity of a bounty hunter is not going to have a whole lot to do with Luke hanging out in a swamp with a Muppet. (laughs) And so, you know, they just didn't deal with it. And I think these games can follow that for a simple reason. We don't have room for it. Right. 
Now, here's the issue. I'll use your favorite. Here's the danger of that, because somebody's going to have a heart attack. Yes. I mean, you could gaming literally kills people. lose an eye. Gaming it does. Kills it does. And I'm not talking steam tunnels. No, no. The gaming doesn't just, drive us to kill people. I mean, games themselves. Yeah, the conduct you just have an aneurysm. Exactly. That die fell on the floor, and then you're down. Mm-hmm. So, so few gamers. Yeah. So the danger of doing this is that the Game Master is taking away agency from the player or could potentially taking away agency from the player let's do the hoth example here it's like your players were playing and they did all the stuff and when was hoth empire yeah so they they did all that stuff in new hope and it was real crazy and it's just like okay we're gonna go off and do all this stuff and it's like okay game master we'll see you next week and then you open up Game Masters, you are on the ice world of hoth you've set up a rebel base and then <laughs> the han player is like the f- I am. Yeah. I'm with the bitches on the pleasure planet spending money or slinging you it, you know. The military strategist who's like, what moron decided right. <laughs> that an ice world was yeah. a great place to set up what the hell are we a eating? rebel operation that's cut off from its supplies? Exactly. And it's just like, why do we have this massive base on ice world? Like, what is the strategic significance of ice world? Now, of course, there are really crazy detailed Star Wars fans who have answers for every single sure. question we just put That's the, not the point right. here. I think that was the point of Hoth was it was so right. useless that nobody was paying attention to what was going on there. But before we get too mired into pandemic Star I still Star follow Wars, your yeah, point. Your point is that that decision was made for, for the players. Right. If, if we treat the characters in that movies as the player characters, mm-hmm. that decision was made for them. And you know what? And, and I think some people would say, oh, well, that could be discussed in email. It's like, well, it maybe could it could be. Maybe it could. Maybe it can. You know, it, it depends. But I think that it takes a bit of agency away from the players. And that's OK. It's all right to do that. But everybody just has to be on board with it. Right. Everybody knows that we're trying to trim fat, we're trying to keep things going, and we're trying to go forward, unless it's completely and totally outrageous. If if instead you look at the Han player and it's just like, okay, Han Solo, you are now in the sexy slave girl outfit and you are chained to Jabba the Hutt and you are his bitch. Well, maybe as the Han Solo player, I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> maybe the Leia player isn't comfortable with that. So there's back and forth but i think that you have to roll with a lot everybody has to be on board with it and there has to be some buy-in from all parties yes i think all parties are going to have to accept some things that it's okay to take agency away yeah i'm taking agency away so i have to be not an asshole about it right i think the best way of doing that is when you have influence over the players like that be pro player you're not doing it to put them in a tense, hard situation. You're doing it because it's awesome, and you believe they will find it awesome, not because it's... Yes, and I think there is a big difference between cutting the fat and pulling the Azure Bonds stunt. Right. For anyone who's not familiar with the Azure Bonds, it was a D&D book followed by a video game called Curse of the Azure Bonds. The game basically starts off with your decent-level adventurers... And you wake up butt naked, all your stuff is gone, you have no memory of what happened, and there are tattoos all over you, and if you don't get them taken care of, they're going to do horrible things to you. Right. 
And every once in a while, when the plot gets boring, the, the bonds glow, you black out, and you do something terrible. Exactly. I mean, it's it's effectively putting a leash on the players. Right. I, I don't know. It's on again, off again, road. I'm not sure what I'd use for it. But I think, Chad, you're absolutely right that you do have to be pro player, mm-hmm. not just pro player character, no, but pro, pro player, player in what you're doing and saying, how are they going to react to this? And I think when we talk about cutting out the fat, what led up to this to me mm-hmm. wasn't fat. Yeah. The choices that led up to this, the series of events that led up to this to me, that's not fat. Those are meaningful things that apparently involved the entire party and a mm-hmm. larger plot and things that actually would have been interesting to know. And you know what? For the sake of a novel, that's fine. Yeah. But if someone did that to me in a role playing game, I would have a pretty big problem with it. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, yeah, you're screwed and you had no hand in this and you get no choice about it. Yeah. And by the way, you weren't just screwed. But it was actually an interesting series of events that you might want to know about. Maybe even could have affected. <laughs> yeah. But nope. You're just you're done. Yeah. This is what happened. This this is where this is life now. Assuming things work out the way we hope, mm-hmm. then we're going to. Oh, be... they're going to work out. I've already got my character. All right. I'm well, playing this game. I don't know about any of the other. Guys. Okay. Well, the next time what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about some of the high level concepts for the mm-hmm. skies of glass rules and some of our group template. We'll do our group template stuff. And what I'm going to do for those of you guys at home, so I'm not overwhelming you with endless encyclopedic exposition. How's that for alliteration? Mm. I will only explain rules as they become necessary. Mm -hmm. So I will discuss only what is needed for that moment of the game. And I will save you guys. And by you guys, I mean the audience as well as people here from long lectures and waxing and waning about why everything is the way it is Mm -hmm. so if things pan out the way we hope then what you'll be getting next time is an introduction to the set of rules for skies of glass and i'll be kicking off a wiki or something that will start showing these rules i actually went over them with chad and wayne a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago and they both like what i got or they seem to hey i made the executive decision to do it so okay i'll take that as an endorsement and uh we hope that you guys will enjoy that and if that doesn't pan out for some reason then one way or another, we'll be back with something to talk to you guys about. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great week and great games. Whatever we're doing, we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.